This is Pathlight. Hello, everyone. I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, inviting you to stay tuned for these next 30 minutes or so of Bible study, fellowship, and a message today from the Word of God. We hope you'll stay tuned for our special service today. What, what kind of legacy will you be leaving behind one day when God calls you away from this planet? What legacy will you leave behind for your children or grandchildren? Well, I hope it's a legacy of faithfulness, a legacy of service. But so many people today, I'm afraid, are going to be leaving behind a legacy of foolishness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Actually, we'll be taking a look at the book of Proverbs, chapter number 26. A legacy of foolishness is what we're talking about on today's program. Right now, though, just before, just before we get around to the message, Mike's back in the choir. I go to the rock. you a question today. May I ask you a question? What is the most negative thing 
the most negative thing about your reputation? What is the most negative thing about your character? Are you Susie the undependable? Are you Teddy the tardy? Are you Gladys the gossip? Thomas, you know, was much more, much more than a doubter, but unfortunately that's how he's often identified. Rahab was more than a harlot. As a matter of fact, she was very instrumental in the deliverance of the children of Israel, if you remember. But yet that's how she's usually portrayed as Rahab the harlot. Are you Patricia the impatient or Harry the hothead? How do people know you? What is your legacy? What is your reputation? What is the character trait that a lot of people would look at you and say, well, that's the first thing I think of when, when I see that fellow. That's the first thing I think of when I see that, that lady. I enjoy watching documentaries about people I admire. I, I like to learn about the early influences that impacted these people. I guess you'd call them people of significance. At least I, I look at them as being significant people. Something interesting caught my attention when a documentary I was watching on television not long ago began to focus on the childhood of President Ronald Reagan. Now, Reagan has often uh, been one of my heroes, to be honest with you, and, but they shared something about his childhood, about his upbringing that I believe had an impact on the way he conducted himself later on in life and the way he conducted himself while in office. Now, certainly we all know that no president is universally loved and admired. Uh, uh, certainly every president has, has, has people that like him and people that don't. We understand that. But some would argue that Reagan came closer than most presidents to being admired by most people. A lot of people had a respect for President Ronald Reagan, whether they agreed with all his policies or not. But behind that pleasing personality was a man who had experienced some very painful days, some painful embarrassments in his youth. And many of those embarrassments were at the hand of his, of his dad. Now, Reagan's father, I learned, was a man who seemed to lack direction in life. I don't know what internal struggles he may have been wrestling with, but unfortunately he attempted to dampen his personal pain with alcohol. His uncontrolled addiction to alcohol cost his family in many ways. They struggled financially and socially and emotionally because of all the foolish decisions that Reagan's dad would make. Now, Reagan loved his dad very much, but he spent a lot of time trying to save his dad from experiencing the embarrassment of the consequences of his actions. I'm sure many that may have grown up in a, in a household where maybe dad or mom or both were prone to alcohol perhaps can relate to this. One example from the documentary that stood out to me was an afternoon when Reagan came home to find his dad passed out drunk on the front porch. Well, of course, he was concerned for his father, but also tremendously embarrassed and felt his dad also would be embarrassed. So seeing his dad in this kind of condition, Reagan dragged his dad inside the house and, until he finished sleeping off his drunkenness. And sadly, that is perhaps the most prominent thing I can tell you about Reagan's dad. It said more about him than that in the documentary, but that's the thing that really stood out to me. This is a guy who abused alcohol. And in so doing, it hurt his family, it hurt himself, it hurt others. That's the kind of legacy he left behind in the, uh, in the minds of many historians. Now, I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying the man didn't have some positive attributes. 
I'm just simply saying that is the legacy that most people who studied his life and studied the childhood of Ronald Reagan, that's the legacy you usually think about. His dad was a drunk. He's basically seen as a man who gave in to foolishness and irresponsibility while grieving his family who, who seemed to love him in spite of his actions. In a similar way, in the Word of God, we read in Proverbs 26, shows us the folly that we embrace can easily become a legacy that we leave. So if today you are Teddy the tardy or Patricia the impatient, that could be a legacy that you pass on in the future, that people look back at you, and although it might not be engraved on your tombstone, it might be something they remember you by. And it also may be something that influences your children and grandchildren into the future. Now, let me share a couple of things with you this morning in that regard. First off, there are some people who just won't learn, and you and I need to do the best we can to try not to be one of them. I mean, let's just face it. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 1 through 3, As snow in the summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. As the bird wandering and the swallow flying, so the, calls, so the curse causeless shall not come. A whip for a horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Again, that's Proverbs 26, 1 through 3. Snow in summer and rain in harvest, particularly back in, in Bible days and in that particular environment and culture, that was devastating. I mean, you can imagine even now as, as, a, as your garden is coming up and the farmers, I see their corn is coming up in the fields. I mean, a snow and a freeze right now would not be a good thing. It would be devastating. Likewise, over in that land, as your crops were ripening and it was time for harvest, if you got a couple of weeks of rain, it could destroy the crop. You couldn't get out to harvest it. It could rot in the field. So the Bible says, snow in the summer, rain in the harvest. So honor is not seemly. In other words, it is, it is, is not seemingly, if you will, for a fool. These, this snow and this rain is a disaster, a bad timing. It's devastating to the farmer. So God says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. He's acknowledging here that judgment is going to come to the fella who plays the fool. So again, I say, there's some people who just won't learn. They won't listen. They won't heed sound counsel. You and I need to do everything we can. Try not to be one of them. When it comes to obtaining wisdom, there are a few ways you can do it. You can read what the Lord has revealed in His Word. That'll help give you wisdom. You can believe what He says and apply that to your life. Another way is you can seek the counsel of wise people and try to learn from their example and teaching. Or you can make costly mistakes and learn the hard way through the pain that is probably going to come from doing it the hard way, from ignoring the Word of God and ignoring the counsel of wise people that he places in your life. Now, now, most all of us can think of lessons we've learned through each of these ways. There's been things I've learned through God's Word, things I've learned through good counsel, and quite frankly, there's been things I've learned, well, the hard way because I did something stupid and had to reap the benefit and said, by God's grace, I'm not going to do that anymore. But as we look at the words of Solomon here in Proverbs 26, we see that there are those who reject every opportunity to obtain wisdom that's offered them. Solomon tells us that honor is not fitting for them. It's not due them. They won't be encouraged by it. We should not give it to them. He also tells us in these verses of Scripture, verses 1 through 3, the painful consequences that are the guaranteed result of rejecting the wisdom of God. A godless man who embraces the foolish thinking of this world will end up being treated in some respects like an animal that can't be reasoned with. 
The proverb writer says horses are whipped into shape because their simple minds don't excel in reasoning. Foolish people are pretty similar. They're likely to experience form of forms of judgment or chastisement or correction that will demonstrate they simply cannot be reasoned with. Often they have to be treated like children. Trouble is they usually resent being treated like children, so they even seldom learn from that. I recently heard of a man who became a great success later in life, but during the early years of his adulthood, his mother tried to persuade his fiancée not to marry him. When she got wind of this young lady whom she greatly admired was thinking about marrying her son, she called the girl aside and said, don't do it, don't marry him. He won't stick with anything, and it's a guarantee you'll be miserable if you marry my son. When the man heard his mother say that, boy, I tell you, it upset him. And he went to a specialist who ran him through a battery of tests and determined that he had terrible people skills. He didn't care much for other people. The the specialist recommended that he find a profession that didn't require him to interact with people a lot. Now, the man could have took the advice of the specialist, but in this case, he didn't. He decided to do something better. He realized how foolish he had been up to that point. He started taking courses and reading books on how to interact with others. He turned his life around. He devoted himself to it, made a lifelong practice of it, and eventually he became a co-founder of a very successful hotel chain and a very successful businessman. There are people who receive feedback. There are people who will read the Word of God and change their life, or they'll listen to good counsel and change their life. There are other people that go through the school of hard knocks, and they'll change their life. But there are some people, there's a few people out there, that no matter what happens, they're not going to learn. You and I need to strive not to be that kind of person. Now, the second thing I want to mention, we're talking today on the subject of your legacy of foolishness, is be careful not to waste all your words, but... But be willing to waste a few. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. The next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, it sounds like those are contradictions, and some liberal would probably tell you, aha, that's one of the contradictions in the Bible, but really it's not. What it's saying here is don't continue to butt your head against the solid brick wall. But... But if you butt your head against a solid brick wall and all of a sudden you see the least little crack developing, well, maybe you can butt a couple of more times to see if something happens. Have you ever tried to teach something to someone else? Well, what what makes it easy to teach some people? Some people are just so eager to learn. Boy, it's easy. Have you ever tried to teach other people and it's absolutely difficult, if not impossible? It's like, boy, I'm just not getting through here. In these verses, Solomon paints the picture for us of a wise person attempting to share wisdom with someone steeped in foolishness. Unfortunately, there are many times when that activity feels totally fruitless. It's especially fruitless when we try to engage in foolish debates on terms that they have set, terms that have been set by them who embrace the folly. Yet if we accept those terms and answer him in a way that's consistent with his folly, we'll end up sounding just like him. It's basically saying don't answer a fool on his level. Don't play his games. Don't answer by his rules. Have you ever attempted to share wisdom with someone and then later regretted it because you realized they had no intention of receiving your counsel? I distinctly remember a conversation I had with someone several years ago who was in the process of destroying his relationships. He'd already destroyed many and trying to destroy now. Now his marriage is on the rocks. Seems like he destroyed a relationship with everyone who ever tried to love him. 
Eventually, I had to take a break from take, even talking to him because every word I shared felt like it was being wasted. He rejected my counsel. He rejected the counsel of God's Word. He rejected the counsel of others as well. He, uh, he persisted in hurting those that were closest to him in ways that absolutely could not have been prevented. Last I heard, that fellow made an absolute wreck of his life. Even through our words, even though our words of counsel may fall on ears, ears that are unwilling to hear, it's still worth the risk of wasting a few words. There'll come a point where you're saying, I, I, there's no need of going any further. The Holy Spirit may give you permission. You might pray secretly for the fellow, but to say having an open conversation for you is just not going to work. Solomon tells us that there's a time to give a fool an answer, and I think the Lord can give us the wisdom we need to know whether it's worth speaking or whether it's worth just perhaps letting it go. The third thing I'd like to mention to you is the destructive patterns of folly can be hard to escape. Proverbs twenty six eleven, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Biblically speaking, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were no longer fools from that moment forward. True foolishness is godlessness. Ultimate foolishness is to reject the salvation offered to us by Christ. It's foolish to try to do for ourselves what's already been done for us by Christ on the cross of Calvary. We couldn't save ourselves, so Christ accomplished all that was needed for us to experience new life and spiritual freedom. And since our precious Lord Jesus Christ paid such a high price for our freedom, we're encouraged not to return to the life we once embraced. But let's be honest, the destructive patterns of folly can be hard to escape, especially if we've developed a dependence on the foolish things of this world to soothe our emotional pain. I've known so many people that's made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and yet a day later, a week later, a month later, they tend to go back to the world. There's a tremendous temptation there. I've known young men who've surrendered to serve the Lord, and yet sometimes the world just seems to drag them back in. In that case, it become, can become quite easy to keep running back to the old ways because we're still convinced they can bring us some kind of peace, some kind of healing, some kind of comfort, some kind of joy. Even the Bible says sin can be pleasure for a season, so sometimes we like to go back and experience that joy as temporary as it is. Solomon describes here in a very vivid language to help drive his point home. When we return to the folly Christ has freed us from, Christ has paid the price so that we could escape. But when we go back to the folly of the world, we're acting no better and no more intelligent than a dog that goes back to its own vomit. Those are colorful words and almost crude words, but yet it certainly paints a vivid picture of reality. And if that mental picture disgusts you a little bit, try applying it to any area of your life where you may be giving up your spiritual freedom in order to embrace slavery, slavery back in the old world of sin and worldliness. The destructive patterns of folly may be hard to escape, but Christ has made a way to escape through His precious blood. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow or not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able 
to bear it. What a precious promise that says right there. That every temptation you face as a born-again child of God, not almost all of them, but every temptation you face as a born-again child of God, God says, I will give you a way to avoid it. A way to escape it. A way to get victory over it. It might not come and punch you in the face. You might have to look for it. It may be hiding over here or hiding over there somewhere. The devil's going to do everything he can to disguise that way of escape, to camouflage it so you can't see it. But there will be a way of escape for every temptation that you face. Everyone. Christ promises that. There hath no temptation taken you. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able. God will make a way of escape, the Bible says. You'll be able to get victory if you only seek the victory. The final thing I'd like to mention is acknowledge the source of true wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12. We're taking all these verses from Proverbs. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Wisdom is worth praying for. Wisdom is worth seeking and obtaining. But one of the major roadblocks that will get in the way of us obtaining wisdom is ourselves. You say, no, no, I thought it was the devil. I thought it was the world. I thought it was some enemy over here that's trying to hurt me. No, no the major roadblock in, in you obtaining wisdom is your own self and my own self. We're often our own roadblock particularly if we're already wise in our own eyes. That mindset results in us thinking we don't need outside counsel, and actually outside counsel hinders our growth, and we think, well, we're smarter than anybody else anyway. If we're honest, how many times during the course of our lives have we attempted to do more talking than listening? Think about that for a minute. How many conversations have you been a part of where you simply couldn't wait for the other fellow to shut up so you could say something, so you could get your words in? Instead of listening to what he had to say, you were so busy thinking of what you were going to say. We've all done that on occasion in a very real way. That's a form of self-idolatry, isn't it? And it's the very thing that Solomon is cautioning us against, it says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him, Solomon says. He tells us that there's more hope for a fool than for a man who idolizes his own wisdom or becomes wise in his own eyes. For us to obtain the wisdom we need, we must acknowledge that Jesus is the source of all true wisdom. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 25. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What a promise there we have. That tells us our only hope for true wisdom is God. Our only hope, because our greatest wisdoms, the greatest minds on this planet are nothing but foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. And yet the Bible says in James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him calleth upon the Lord. Call upon God. He gives to all men liberally, the Bible says. Do you give much thought as to the kind of legacy you'll be leaving for those who come after you? Your legacy might not be engraved on your tombstone, but if it were, what would it say? What would it say? Would it say that, uh, that you are indeed Teddy the Tardy or Gladys the Gossip or Patricia the Impatient or Harry the Hothead? What might it say? When people think of you, what do they think of? You know, the older I get, 
the more this thought occupies my mind. I don't want to leave behind a legacy of foolishness. I want to leave behind a legacy of faith. But the legacy I leave and the legacy you leave is going to be determined by the things you embrace today, by the decisions that you accept and make today. The little soft choices that you make today are going to go into building the legacy that you will have, that you will have tomorrow. What are you holding on to? What have you chosen to embrace? Are your arms wrapped around the follies of this world? Or will you embrace Jesus Christ, who is the power and the wisdom of God personified? The title of today's message was, The Foolishness You Embrace Today May Very Well Become the Legacy You Leave Behind Tomorrow. That's kind of a long title, but I think it's a, it's a very important message for all of us because the little things we do today, seemingly so small, so minuscule, the interactions we have with other people today, so small, so minuscule, the little soft choices that we make today, the little missteps that we make today, we continue to do those day after day, day after day, week after week, month after month. And we begin to embrace more and more foolishness. And before long, our life on this world is coming to an end. And the legacy we leave behind, the legacy that our children remember, the legacy that our co-workers remember, the legacy that perhaps our spouses remember, is a legacy of foolishness. When we, particularly if we were Christians, had opportunity for wise counsel from the Word of God, We had wise counsel, the opportunity to receive wise counsel from other Christians that might could give us direction when we stumble along the pathway. And of course, most of us have also had these times in life when we just made mistakes and if we'd only open our eyes, we'd see the foolishness of the mistake we just made and say, by God's grace, that's not happening anymore. I'm not doing that again. That was stupid. That was foolish. That was unproductive. That was unbecoming a Christian. By God's grace, it's not going to happen again. Your legacy of foolishness is what we're talking about today. Because the little foolish acts that you have allowed to creep into your life one by one have become a standard of foolishness that you're embracing in your day-to-day life. And if it's not dealt with, that's going to be the legacy that you leave behind. The foolishness that you embrace today may very well become the legacy you leave behind tomorrow. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to today's Pathlight programs. If these programs are a blessing to you, we would enjoy hearing from you. Just a reminder, you can catch this message on the radio, 1030 a.m. on the Go Mix Radio Network. Also, it's available on Facebook, on the Go Mix Christian Radio Facebook site, the Christian Bible College Facebook site, the Pathway Christian Academy Facebook site. It's also available as a podcast. If you want to check that out, you can do that also. Many ways of, uh, of reaching reaching people. If you've heard it want to hear it again, or you've heard it, you said, I think my, my neighbor, my friend might get something out of this. They can check out some of those sources to hear it at a different time, a time of their convenience. Well, until next time, T.D. Worthington saying, may God richly bless you is my prayer. You have a safe, wonderful, and blessed week as you prosper in the Lord.